He's this rabid f***er, whatever. He likes to have sex a lot. That's not what you call people that like to have sex. You don't call them f***ers. <laughs> <laughs> On this episode of Art of the Short, Jory and Bethers teeter concepts of liminal space, haunt their brains with daunting unknowns, and Jory and Bethers get straight up stomped. We'd like to remind you that all episodes of Art of the Short contain explicit content and a masterful amount of spoilers. If you'd like to read the story before entering, a free link is provided in the show notes, or if you give no f**ks whatsoever, just keep listening. Short is an interactive literary art installation. We overextend our opinions on short stories and make art of our interpretations. Like, Bethers will brush up on her vocal chops while yodeling her views on the social constructs of gender and sexuality. Stuff like that. Join in the conversation and send us your artwork to add to the gallery at artoftheshort.com and follow the installation on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Art of the Short to see what others think of this short story through their art. Hi, Dory. Hi. Did I surprise you? Yeah, you did. I thought did I you know I was here. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to say something first. Surprise, we're recording the art cast. We're here. Hi. It's happening. It's art of the short. We're doing it. Bethers Donners Peters. Mm. My eyes are big and bulging because I am so excited. <laughs> worked up about this piece and I this experience. I am so worked experience. up about this piece and this experience. Listen, you know, the readers <laughs> won't know that I've been waylaying the start of this recording because I do not know what to say about this short story <laughs> and I don't even know how to get started. So there's a little peek behind the curtain for you. But that's great, though. That's, that's a exciting. A little peeky poo. Well, how do you feel about... My art? Your art. I'd say it's a question mark. I haven't formed an opinion. Well, that makes sense, though, to me. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, I had the idea, and then a thing arrived. Ooh. It came to me. It was delivered to me. Oh, my. I didn't have to seek it out. And I said, don't fight it. The powers that be. Just accept it. And then I never thought about it again. <laughs> so. <laughs> that means this, like, piece of work is, like, so transcendent that, oh, like, it yeah. just came. It was, like. <laughs> it truly arrived. A blessing into your being. <laughs> well, yep. <laughs> and you, and you, and you. Well, I am excited about my art this week. Oh, love to hear that. And it is provocative. It is. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it is. Maybe it's not to a lot of people. <laughs> But I was, like, totally into it. I spent more time on it than I needed to. Okay. And also kind of like a conundrum of a piece of artwork. Like, (laughs) I don't know if it means anything at all. Oh, literally same. Yeah. Yeah, right? 100%. But that's so representative, I feel like, of the story this week. So uh, Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how you feel. I'm going to I'm gonna have to take a third-party <laughs> opinion because I don't know what to think about. Right? I'm so excited to hear what you have to say. Okay, Whew. let's get into it because I'm too excited. Okay. This week's short story is by British author and wunderkind Daisy Johnson. Johnson's short stories alone have garnered multiple awards, including Harper's Bazaar Short Story Prize, the A.M. Heath Prize, the Ed Shill Short Story Prize. But even more impressive, when Johnson was 28 years old, her novel Everything Under was shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize, making her one of the youngest nominees in history. 
A good weekend away with Johnson includes eating cheese, exploring rainy beaches, and an end-of-the-day martini. Yes, Daisy, I think we'd all get along just fine. This week we read A Bruise the Size and Shape of a Door Handle by Daisy Johnson. Here's what it's about. Troy's frozen in place. She's in sheer panic. (laughs) I'm going to try to like not panic one because you just said that that's what I feel right now but like yeah, you're bringing some panicked energy I feel like every this is a <laughs> Lucy she's stuttering listener she can't even okay, let's just get into it. it that's what I'm saying let's just get into it let's just get into it it opens with introducing this character called Salma who is nine years old in the first paragraph of the story and this is what it says When Salma was nine, her mother died, and she went to live with her father she knew only through birthday phone calls and from her mother's steel-lined phraseology. He was a bitch on heat, a fucking rabid, no-cock-and-bald pug with more (laughs) horn than a wolfhound. They stood in the hallway and looked at one another. (laughs) So that's the opening to this story, okay? (laughs) This young nine-year-old girl goes and lives with her father that she doesn't know, and she only knows him through her mother's eyes, which who knows if that's reality or not. She moves into her father's house, and they describe it as, like, not having, like, any of the rooms filled with furniture or anything. It's just kind of, like, certain areas are occupied and everything else is kind of empty. And it says straight away that until she was 13... The house was just a house. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd like to introduce the cast of characters. In my opinion, there's four. Salma, which is S-A-L-M-A, because I just feel like it's not very easy to understand what we're saying. So Salma, the dad, the house, and a character called Margot. So those, in my opinion, are the four characters. Yeah, absolutely. And right away in the beginning, we meet the house. So it says... She took the attic as if it were a birthright, carrying one suitcase up after another. Life was a making-do when she stood on the bed and stretched to place both hands flat on the ceiling, leaving her prints in dust. So right away, the first thing she does upon arriving in her new room and this new home to her is reach out and literally touch the walls of the house that had not been touched before. (laughs) So... Now we know three of the four characters. We know the dad, Salma, and the house. Yes. The narrator starts to describe kind of Salma's experience, which is she is a 13-year-old girl now, and she's going to school. She doesn't like any of the girls at school. She thinks that all they do is, like, judge each other, basically, Mm -hmm. and she's, like, not into it. Mm -hmm. She's like, I'm a different kind of girl. She's not really, like, fitting in. She's not popular. I don't think she feels very left out. I think she just feels like not part of the mainstream. Totally. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to keep saying this. I really feel like every paragraph of this story is important. Yes, it's so it's so hard. And I, it, know. I hope we can like summarize this well enough for people to understand. She talks about that she starts dreaming about the doors eyeing out of the walls. She says things like this. And then she says like the stairs descending in quiet conversations toward the floors. Like the house is starting to like come to life a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then she says, sometimes all the cupboards in the kitchen were open. And so she's in this dream state that we're reading. Is it a dream state? She literally says, I I dreamt that sometimes this happens. Mm. However, her dad 
right after her dream thought, her dad walks in and he's like, like, why are you fucking around? Like, why are all the cupboard doors open? And she's like, mm-hmm. oh, I was looking for cereal and gives like an excuse for it. Yeah, she just lies. Yeah. And then the narrator says, give a house half a chance and it'll answer back. <laughs> so like something is going on. <laughs> something is definitely <laughs> suspect. But like we're not really led to believe as far as I can tell that Salma's father is noticing this. Like, I mean, he noticed the open doors, but then the next scene and the next description of the house's animation is that she's running home. She just started her period, which I'm a little disappointed, honestly, that a female author would tell this scene because this is like such like a cliched first period in middle school scene. That's just like, I, I just wish there were a different telling, but She's running home and it says that the house is like trying to distract her dad so that she's not embarrassed so she can come home and wash her underwear. Yeah. But he doesn't seem to have any reaction that we hear about. I'm going to quote the author again because it's really hard not to. Yeah. It's mostly because this house has a very like heavy impression on the story. So if you don't include it, you don't understand the rest of the story or don't understand the story anyways. (laughs) Um, so after she starts her period, mm-hmm. it says the house churned from top to bottom, ached across its spine, made a sound that could almost have been I, I, I. At his desk, Salma's father looked up, shook his head, and went back to work. Yeah, like what is he experiencing? That's what I don't understand. Their experiences are very different. It seems like it. So then after she starts her period, she kind of starts this habit of like skipping school and going to see these like movies. Art films, question mark. Art films. (laughs) (laughs) She sees this young woman come in and instead of sitting alone, she like pushes past her and sits near her, nearish her. Mm -hmm. And then the movie ends and like they have some sort of mutual understanding such that they stand up, walk out together and size each other up. Yeah. Her name is Margot. She says, I think it's gauche. I think it's it's a shame to be straight in this day and age. Like, I need to explore my bisexuality. And then all of a sudden, they're in her room. They hook up. Yeah. Foch. They end up in the bedroom together. That's, like, exciting. It says, the house dreamt what they would do before they did it. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> <laughs> Margot's not even noticing, but the walls are straining, coming close to watch, and that the breach of the house's effort was shaking the bed. Yeah. She's like in a reverie, a love state. Yeah. She's bathing long hours, which always reminds me of like the Royal Tenenbaums when Gwen <laughs> felt those characters always just like locked in the bathtub. <laughs> the house is getting gradually more upset with this romance. Like, more and more more upset. The pipes are gurning. The radiators and kettles are, like, boiling hot. Then, Salma decides to take matters into her own hands, marches down to the basement, opens up a toolbox, and, like... I think she's, like, threatening the house. So she, like, leaves these tools all over the kitchen table, like, you better watch it. And then the next day, she, like, I think goes and tries to like hammer the basement or something. Yeah, I think she does. But at this point, she's like so lovesick with Margot. Like she is increasingly Mm -hmm. like her guts are wrenching with love and she doesn't know how to express it. And in the story, she gets so locked in her own, like inside of herself that the only person she can tell is the house. (laughs) She starts like whispering things into the cracks and crevices of the house. And there's like 
I'll just read part of it. Okay. In response, only silence. But in the morning, she would wake with bruises shaped like curtain hooks, half blind from the detonation of a light bulb into a tiny, pained sun. She would find wall chips in the lasagna, pick shards of glass from the soles of her feet in the morning, walk into suddenly closed doors, trip on the raised ridge of a step. It was a jealous answer. <laughs> uh, like, what's happening? <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you what's happening. Okay. What's happening is that the house responds and it eats Margot. <gasps> How dare you do that so fast? <laughs> I said it very casually. It eats Margot. It eats her. It eats her. It eats her. It eats her. Dear listener, Margot has been... Uh, Enveloped. enveloped. She gets like enveloped in. by the house. Mm-hmm. Salma like cooks her this like breakfast or something, cakes and tea, and she's like gonna go tell her that she's in love with her. Mm-hmm. And then she can't find her. And she finds a pile of clothes on the floor, walks into the bathroom. Margot is like, I think, masturbating mm-hmm. and also like touching the wall, like pleasuring the wall. Mm-hmm. Pleasuring the wall. Mm-hmm. See, Bethany tried to skim over this, but this is the meaty part, okay? <laughs> the whole room starts enveloping Margot and she disappears. Margot was she gone. She gets sucked into the house. Margot was gone. She starts bringing <laughs> boys home from the pub. The house doesn't care for that either. Either. <laughs> she can still hear Margot's whispers <laughs> and the walls and everything. The end. <sighs> <laughs> Bethany, what did you think this was going to be? Oh my gosh, I'm trying to think about that. Like, Do you even know? There was a brief description that came with the recommendation of the story that called it hot and bothered. Interesting. Yeah, so I think that's a bit of a misleading description. Yeah, yeah. Um, a little simplistic. So I was like, oh, that'll be fun. Something a little sexy romp. But I, I didn't actually think it would be fun. I thought it might be like someone that's trapped in an abuse cycle. Right? <laughs> that's yeah. kind of what I was thinking. Yeah, me too. Like someone that, you know, likes to argue and then have makeup sex, like that kind of a relationship. That was just my first take thought. Yeah. What did you think it was? Well, yeah, an abusive kind of relationship. And mm-hmm. I guess it is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I guess it is an abusive relationship. <laughs> <laughs> what it was, was, was... Well, it was a story of a jealous lover. It was. It was so many things. I don't even know what it was. Yeah. Was it a ghost story? Was it a love story? Was it a... It's a coming of age story about a young woman discovering her sexuality. Yes. The big things are there. Like, it's a girl. She's adjusting to life. Her mother just died. All of these things. Getting to know her body. Getting to know her body. Also, just, like, dealing with trauma. Like, that's a lot of... Mm -hmm. That's a lot. Especially in those middle school years. Oh, yeah. And then she doesn't like any of the girls at her school. She has no friends to go through it with. And she lives with her father. Like, all of those things are a lot for a lonely middle schooler to deal with. But... Yeah. Yeah. What it was was a surreal kind of 
nightmare scape a little bit. Yeah. I walked away from this feeling like it was much more like a nightmare than a dream. I just don't know. I don't know what I thought. I mean, it can really go like so many ways though. Like it really could be like a young girl just like sitting in trauma, like trying to deal with the world. And you know that she likes artsy movies and maybe she's playing something out in her head. Mm -hmm. Literally, she just lives in a haunted house that is like trying to (laughs) eat every one of her lovers. That's amazing. And succeeding. Sometimes succeeding. (laughs) I just thought it was like a wild love story, coming of age story of just like trying to communicate how strong the feelings are and how confusing the experience is yeah of being that age and of discovering the things that she's discovering and like I thought it was just like an exercise in trying to communicate how it feels through whatever dramatic telling was needed Mm -hmm. like however heightened the action had to be to express how intense the experience feels yeah I feel like that's what Daisy Johnson was willing to do Yeah, she just like created a scenario where we could feel these strong, like unnerving, unsettling feelings. Yeah, and I think what sets it apart from other coming-of-age stories is that it's not dumbing down something for someone who's an eighth grader. Like, I only like boy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like the tone and the language is sophisticated. And so like... Very adult. Yeah. Very adult. You take it as like... Is this over my head or is it like literally what it is? It's just full of question marks. Like I've never written so many question marks ever in my (laughs) life. Me too. Okay, so my first question mark I'd like to address. Yeah. So this is the first thing that threw me into a bout of confusion. (laughs) When she first arrives to the house and she's daydreaming like obsessively about her dad and her mom still being together, even though they haven't been together forever and her mom's dead, she says... She liked to think he thought of her. She liked to think that her dad thought of her mom. By the minute, her dark hair wrapped around his fist, her angry words in the crevices of his mouth. So I'm taking that to mean that they're in the middle of a vicious fight. Yeah. Like he's grabbed her by the hair, pulled her to him, and they're like making out while she's screaming at him. Yeah. That's how she sees romance. Like, okay. <laughs> so that was my first confusion. Like, am I reading that right? Because if so, that's insanely dark to open with. And that's what I'm saying. Like, is she abusing herself? And she's saying it like as if it's like a sweet thing to see. Right. I don't know. That really unsettled me right from the beginning because we are not given any further context. We're given that one line and then she moves on and I'm like, "Mm, that can't be right. (laughs) Like That can't be what she's saying because there's no way she would be fantasizing about that. Like that that's the sweet love. But people like act out what they're taught, right? Like I don't disagree. I think that is what was happening. But as the reader, I was just like, I would imagine that that would have been scary and traumatic and like she wouldn't be thinking about it fondly, which is how it's kind of described here. So that really threw me right in the beginning. (laughs) It has everything to do with how the rest of the story proceeds. So if that's the case, that that's how she views romantic love, then yeah, we're just now going down this really violent, really intense love story. Yeah. For an Where eighth she's grader. being injured, like bodily injured, a bruise the size and shape of a door handle. Like she can't disassociate romantic love and violence. 
is, I think, the story that we're reading. Also, like, it's hard to tell if she's abusing herself right. or if her lover is abusing her. Like, you can't tell. Yeah, I think it's kind of besides the point. But is it, though? Because, like, the ending has an ending. Like, there's solid resolution to what happens. Like, her girlfriend disappears. Her dad even... Oh, we didn't mention this, but her dad buys air fresheners to cover up the smell of rock salt, which I was like, did she kill her? Like, is she buried in the walls? Like, what the fuck happens? I don't know what rock salt means. I don't know what it means. Oh, the smell of rock salt? Yeah. Yeah, I think it smells like sulfur. Like, all of a sudden, the house started having a scent to it after her girlfriend disappeared and got sucked into the walls. Yeah. So to me, I was like, is she just, like, playing at all these, like, bizarre things to herself? Yeah. I don't even know. We don't even know if the house is alive or not. No, of course we don't know. Like, I don't even understand. Is the house real? I don't know. I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. (laughs) Okay, well, I have a couple things to tell you just briefly. Okay. If there was ever a time to try and find some clarity or try and find some understanding, (laughs) this is the story. So I tried my best. I didn't get much, but I'll just share with you what I found. Okay. So one, I thought this was actually very inspiring and very... um, Apropos for the work that we are doing here, Jory. Okay. There was an article in The Guardian where Daisy Johnson has a quote for context. She's a young, very young person. She said, nothing is sacred. I think we should take everything that we possibly can and make it our own. So she's been interviewed about her work. And I just like liked reading that as I was trying to sit down to do my art. Like, I just think that's a good artist's like motto. Yeah. Like nothing is sacred. Just take it and do something with it yeah so I appreciated that and she self-describes her writing as the word liminal and mythic so the mythic word really helped me start wrapping my mind around what we were dealing with here okay so liminal has two definitions one relating to transitional or initial stages of a process to occupying a position at or on both sides of a boundary or threshold. Okay. So we talk about liminal spaces. Yeah, she hits the nail on the head, yeah. So when I read those two things, that was like wildly helpful (laughs) to helping me like understand what I had just read because I came away with nothing but questions. Me too. And (laughs) there's this new movement called fabulism. I don't understand it, so I won't pretend to. But basically, it's this idea that like young women and people that are marginalized that are making art are trying to make things surreal. So that was another word that helped me is like, if you imagine this story as like a dolly painting or something like whatever surrealist artist, like you take recognizable things and you make them warped, essentially. Yeah. The article was called How a Queer Fabulism Came to Dominate Contemporary Women's Writing. So it just talks about how there's all of these, it says literally, odd and confusing stories (laughs) that don't make sense. (laughs) Like the author's trying to make sense of something that is difficult or like a tough transition, like love, loss, these kind of things. Yeah. There was this whole explanation of how myth and storytelling serves a purpose. Yeah, yeah. So like things like violent stepmothers or animal transformations are actually ways of like teaching the youth how to understand things that they can't make sense of and like how to process things that are difficult. Yep, yep, yep. I found that all really, really helpful and I don't really know what I would have done without that research. (laughs) I would have just been left with more questions than answers. (laughs) (laughs) It feels like it has so much meaning and then I'm like, but 
do I understand it? <laughs> but like, that's what's cool about it is that it's like challenging you to think in a different way. I guess that's the beauty of literature though, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Beep, 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 beep. What would you rate this story? Oh boy. I guess three out of five jealous house lovers. Okay. <laughs> I would give this story a five out of five jealous house lovers. I thoroughly enjoyed every second of it. I loved how like fresh it was and like you don't get to hear stories of same-sex love that is as like heart-wrenching and like deep and desperate and like longing and like I want to die if I'm not with you <laughs> stories you know what I mean that are actually like really good <laughs> and I thought this was mm-hmm. that yes it's like a sexual awakening story for sure like that's my biggest takeaway anyways but I really loved that it was putting two women showing that you can have that much love toward another person who is the same sex which I don't think you you just don't get enough of that yeah, so I really appreciated that. Yeah, I think not getting five out of five for me was just like, I think maybe it was a lot. I think maybe this would be an incredible movie or maybe a novel or yeah. just like this treatment of it for me. Like, as I said, like, I wasn't satisfied, <laughs> like, leaving it with my own understanding of it because my own understanding of it wasn't sufficient for me to feel like I had a good experience. Yeah, I think it was super ambitious and I, like, I'm so happy that it exists. Like you were saying, like, I'm so happy it exists. But like, I can't, for me, give it five out of five. There was just too many question marks. Like That's why I liked it. I liked it for all of those reasons. Because it was, I was like, I don't know what I'm reading. And I wanted to go and find other work of hers and read, if she had a novel, read her novel or... She does. <laughs> <laughs> Out of the short, out of the short, out of the short. <laughs> oh my God. Whoa, that was a trip. Okay, so. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. I needed a second opinion on my I guess, art. sorry. Let me like, let me, let me finish watching this. I'm sorry. This, this is. Can I just watch that again? Yeah, I fully thought it was something completely different. Yay, that was the whole point. Okay, maybe <laughs> let me just react to this. Yeah. Okay, so Bethany sent a video. And I thought I was looking out like a sliding glass door <laughs> to a bunch of flowers. Like like a garden. And there's reason why my brain went that way because she happens to live at a house with a <laughs> gorgeous garden with a sliding glass mm-hmm, door. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I l- legit thought that's what I was looking at <laughs> for like the first 10 seconds of that's so great. the film that she made. <laughs> it pans slowly to the left and it is a painting. Mm-hmm. A very famous painting. And then she pans up to, what are those called? Ceiling fan. Ceiling fan. It was like fan <laughs> fan light. Pans up to the ceiling fan and lets it just hum there for a second. I feel like I completely get what you're going <laughs> for, but I don't know if I can express it. Will you well, like tell me about it? But I really feel like you gave like the feeling that's of so what funny. that was. I'm so happy because that's why I was like, you, you may remember, listener, that I described my art like, I don't know, like I need a second opinion because I know 
like what happened to me, but I don't know if it will. Can I just tell you my feelings? Yeah, of course. It felt romantic, like and beautiful and romantic. Mm-hmm. And then the like stillness and like dullness of reality. <laughs> totally. The whole thing is beautiful though. Yeah, yeah. So I just didn't know if I was like <laughs> oh, reading into it because I needed to make art. <laughs> like I had a need. Like I was sitting there, I was learning about liminal spaces and I was thinking like that idea of her art is really inspiring to me. Like that's, I knew that that was going to be my source of inspiration. So I was just like, mm. what can I do that's about like boundaries? Like what, yeah, like, cool. About not being here and not being there and like, cool. Not really being either one. Cool. And then I just literally looked up and was like, oh, <laughs> like this is actually cool. Like I don't know if I can make it look cool, but it is crazy because it is a painting of nature but then there's nature reflected so it's a glass is reflecting actual nature onto a painting of nature and then there's like the humming of like a shitty ceiling fan that feels like it might break off at any moment yes which I just thought was appropriate for a violent house that's like literally coming for you and and it is just mundane but it is also neither here nor there so I'm glad that it looked like that Okay, I'm ready for your art. Are you ready for me to look at it? Okay, go for it, girl. Ah! <laughs> oh, God. Holy moly's. I can't believe we both sent each other sound up videos. <laughs> it's really funny, right? Okay, listener, we have... A little house that's primarily... Oh, it's still going. Oh, God. Hold on. Hold tight. Okay, well, it's finally happened. What? Dear reader, dear listener, we finally have an actual portrait of vaginas. We knew this day was coming. We've been joking about it since the inception of this art cast. And today, this day of our Lord... We have it. We have it here in the flesh. And it is not subtle. Nope. (laughs) It's uh, like a triptych of female body parts and vaginas. Yeah. They're pretty, though. They look like oysters or something. And it's like an outline of a house and three little triptychy panels, like three little panels side by side. And then it's it's scribbled underneath. It says sex, 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 sex. But it's like a carpet. Like it's supposed to be the inside of the house. Okay, I couldn't see that as clearly. But yes, it's a sex rug. Like an attic space. There's little sounds that are going with the changing of the graphic from like a butt and boobs and like a vagina. And we have some like didgeridoo sort of. Sounds. <laughs> didgeridoo. <laughs> Vaginas and didgeridoos. That's my aesthetic. <laughs> that's your contribution. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's exciting. There's a scene in the story where they're talking about like the, I don't know, it's like the radiator or the heater inside the house is like mm-hmm. getting really hot and like making the house do weird things. Uh-huh. So it's like the sound of like electrical stuff. Yeah. There is a sexual awakening happening. Whatever oh, it is. Yeah. For sure. It's that like crazy deep mm-hmm. explosive mm-hmm. feeling of that like the earth is gonna <laughs> crumble up and disintegrate unless <laughs> like whatever you want oh, yeah. is gonna happen for you mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. her first sexual experience is with a woman so it's like yeah. female body parts yeah. and like 
you know, just like the vibrating of like what that feels like. And yeah. there's like description of the story about it. Yeah, there are. But I wanted to also try to be like a little provocative <laughs> because they go and they watch these like art movies. Yeah, I was gonna but I was gonna say about this <laughs> is that this looks like it would be like the opening cool credit sequence. I get it. Of an actual art cinema film. Like yeah. in our hometown, dear listener, that Joy and I grew up in, there was one That's art right. cinema called the Bijou. The one. Literally one. It was an, an actual house, like an art house cinema, like an old timey three-story looking Victorian house thing. I think it was like a like a monastery or something. It was very vibey. Very vibey. And we saw a sex art art films there i mean so many so many different <laughs> so, art films but this like what jory's made looks like something we would see in one of those like short film festivals mm. so it's like very full circle thanks i spent too much time yeah that was some sincere effort like that was some good work <laughs> <laughs> on the next episode of art of the short little shorties we'll be reading room number five albergio dolce vita florence italy by Cheryl Pappas. As always, a free link to the short stories provided in the show notes for you. And we can't wait to hear what you think about these stories. Mm-hmm. Like really, truly, really, really, truly, truly. This is a doozy. Yeah, it, this was a whopper. <laughs> a whopper. <laughs> and then also follow the installation on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Art of the Short. Please do. Okay, Joy. Bethany, I love you I love and you goodbye. Bye. And goodbye. <laughs> so formal. And goodbye. And good night. Bethany, if I have to explain like <laughs> audio waveforms to you, I will. Scooby da nooba da marrow. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you're not. Don't say I'm just not kidding. kidding. Don't say it. <laughs> okay, seriously it. though, bye. Love you. I love you too. Wait, no, bye. <laughs> <laughs>